Well, good morning, guys. So, a little bit about myself. When I was 13 years old, I discovered Star Wars. Star Wars, yeah. So my brother, um, he had uh, brought home these bootleg copies, uh, VHS copies of Star Wars, and that was the first time I really experienced um, what is now like a, a cultural phenomenon. And I remember watching those movies over and over and over. I probably watched them 10 or 15 times before I turned 14. And uh, judging by the box office numbers, many of you are fans of Star Wars too. Uh, it's probably one of the, I'm, I'm arguably it is the largest grossing movie franchise of all time. People are really engaged by this story. And you have to wonder why. And I imagine there's a couple reasons why. One is, you know, it's got characters who are really engaging. It has um, uh, an imaginative setting. But one of the reasons I really think people engage with Star Wars is because it has a story that really writes large the battle between good and evil. And in Star Wars, you have these scrappy underdogs who, against insurmountable odds, beat uh, an enemy who seems to be impossible to beat, but somehow they do. And how could you not be buoyed up by a story like that? How could you not be engaged by a story like that? So people come to the movies, they go to the theaters, they watch it on their TVs, and then they walk out of the t- theater, they turn off their TV, and they can scarcely imagine that perhaps they really are in a battle between good and evil. We've been talking for the past couple of weeks uh, about spiritual warfare. And um, last week, Pastor Mark shared uh, from stories of Jesus, of, of casting out demons and, and dealing with demonic possession. And we learned some of the things that Jesus did in those circumstances. And we learned that we have the same authority that Jesus does to do what he did when we encounter those kind of demonic uh, experiences. The truth is, for many of us, We will never encounter those demonic experiences. Some of us will, but a lot of us will not. However, all of us, every single one of us, will encounter the work and the realm of Satan. Every single one of us. You know, we began the series by um, reading a a passage from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Um, And I want us to read that passage again, if, if, if it can get on the screen There it is. Let's read this out together. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, when we read this, we understand that Paul is giving us a picture. He's he's giving us a worldview of two kingdoms at war with each other. A kingdom of darkness and a kingdom of light. And we experience these kingdoms at battle with each other every day of our lives. We see the effects of this war every day. When I go down to the homeless shelter and I see men and women who are captivated and who are stuck in homelessness because of addiction or because of abuse, I see the effects of the kingdom of darkness. When I hear about someone who has left the church because of a lie that they have believed about the church or about someone in the church, I hear about a casualty in this spiritual war. 
And the flip side of that, when I hear about a story of someone who has gone to celebrate recovery and has found freedom from something that has held them in bondage, I hear about someone who has been feeling the effects of the kingdom of God. So we see this in, in day in and day out, writ large, whether it's through uh, hearing about poverty or a nation state or writ small in our lives, whether we deal with uh, the things that hold us back in life, we see the effects of the kingdom of darkness every single day. And we, sometimes in our Christian walk, we make it a little bit, uh, our, our scope is a little too narrow. As we think about the scope of salvation, we, sometimes we imagine it to be something like Jesus versus sin. But when we study scripture and we see the big picture, we realize it's not just Jesus versus sin. It is Jesus versus sin and evil and darkness and the devil. And remember that Latin phrase that Pastor Mark taught us a couple weeks ago. What was it? Christus Victor. The cry of victory. Christ victorious. That is the story of scripture. And that is the story of these two kingdoms battling with one another. And there's one more thing about this, this uh, image of kingdoms battling one another. And that is, what, what is at stake here? You know, Pastor Mark shared a story about how his identity had been stolen. Someone had stolen his social security number uh, a couple weeks ago. And he claimed that this was a work of Satan. And I agree with him. Satan is a stealer. He's a thief. But you can't imagine that Satan is just out, just simply to steal. He's more, there's more of an aim to it than that. Stealing is a means to an end. And when, when Satan stole or he directed someone to steal uh, Mark's social security number, his aim wasn't just to do that. It was to cause Mark anger, to cause him fear, despair, and doubt. Remember that one of Satan's name is Diabolos or the splitter. And whatever he does, he intends to split us, to separate us from God. And what is at stake in this spiritual war is our very souls. There is eternal stake at, at, at stake here. Something eternal is at stake here. Our very souls are at stake. So I, I, many of this, much of this might seem uh, redundant to you as, as we've gone over these past couple of weeks, but I have to recover it once again because everything I'm going to talk about today has to be seen through this kind of a worldview that we are in this cosmic battle between evil and good. And that the way that we live our lives can have an impact in that war. The war is over. The battles are still being fought. That's what Christus Victor means. So the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about some of the tactics we take in this war. We're going to be talking about understand, understanding the schemes of the devil. And we're going to be talking about the battle plans that we can make. But today we're going to be talking about the armor of God. What is the armor of God? Well, that's in Ephesians chapter 6. And without further ado, let's just dive right into Ephesians chapter 6. We read from Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12, not too long ago. But we're going to read the entire passage beginning at verse 10. So turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, 
against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of the Lord. So, Father, this morning, this word, would you make it real in our hearts? Lord, would you illuminate for us what you mean by the armor of God? Would you illuminate for us this way of life, this way of combating evil and darkness in our world? May we be, indeed, those who do not fight against flesh and blood, but battle against these cosmic forces who aim to do us wrong, to separate us from you. May that be so this morning. We ask in your name. Amen. The first thing I want to point out to you about the armor of God is simply in that phrase itself. Armor of God. The armor of God is God's armor before it is our armor. As a matter of fact, the armor of God doesn't show up first in Ephesians 6. It shows up much earlier in Scripture. In in Isaiah chapter 59. I'm going to read that for you. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 15. It says, The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. There it is, right there. Righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. In this passage, we see that God sees injustice happening and that he takes up armor to fight for his own cause. Righteousness. And one of the things I want us to get from this is that when we talk about the armor of God, we don't begin uh, by, by assuming that it is our armor. We begin by assuming that this is something that God has given us, that it was his first and that he has given it to us. That actually, the things that are in the armor of God are actually a way of life, uh, practices that we do, uh, things that we think, things that God has given us to, to practice and to live out that uh, are his way of living and that fight evil in our world. So often in my own experiences, I have heard people address the armor of God. A lot of the way that uh, many times that Christians will do this is that they'll almost treat it like some sort of incantation, and in the morning, they'll, they'll wake up and they'll, they'll say, you know, I'm going to put on my belt of truth and, um, you know, the shield of faith. And they'll just put on their armor of God and they'll recite it as if that is actually putting on the armor of God. But that's not helpful. Notice here that Paul says, stand. Three times. He says, stand, therefore. Stand, stand, stand. And he's talking about maintaining a way of life. Maintaining a beliefs and practices that fight back evil and darkness and Satan in our world. That's what he means by stand. 
So the armor of God is not just a recitation. It is actually a way of living, a way of thinking and being that pushes back evil, that is, is a way of, of fighting and resisting evil in our world. So without further ado, I'm going to go through each of these pieces of armor. And there's so much packed in, these, in this passage. We could actually do a whole sermon series on the armor of God. But I only have 20 minutes uh, to do that. So I'm going to give you a little sermonettes on each of these pieces of armor. The belt of truth. Um, literally, in, in, in the original language, one of the ways to express this is, to, is that Paul is saying, gird up your loins. Gird up your loins. And that's a phrase that you're probably familiar with because it comes from the King James Version of the Bible. And it's actually made its way into our English language as an idiom that we use commonly. Gird up your loins. And we understand that to mean prepare yourselves. Right? Prepare yourselves for battle. And that's actually exactly what it means. Prepare yourselves for battle. Satan in the Bible is understood as the father of lies. The father of lies. And as we look at scripture and as we read and understand who Satan is indeed, that's how we see he interacts with the saints over the years, the many centuries. Go back to Genesis 3 and watch how he interacts with Eve in the Garden of Eden. And how so cleverly he weaves words and changes what they mean so that Eve is deceived into eating the fruit. And actually, in, in that passage, you'll notice that the specific, what, what he's doing here specifically is that he is twisting the words of God so that Eve uh, mishandles the words of God and understands them differently. So when we are talking about truth, we understand that it is so imperative that we are careful students of, of the word and students in community so that we can share and understand truth together. Truth is so essential for every other piece of armor, when, when we look at the, uh, the Roman armor, which Paul was inspired by in this passage, this particular piece of armor was, was a metal apron that, that wrapped around the ra- waist and protected the thighs. And this uh, metal apron was support for a lot of the other pieces of armor. It was one of the first things that went on, went on, the, on the soldier. And it held up some of the other pieces of armor. And this is true of truth. When we understand truth... Um, we understand everything else in the armor. Without understanding Scripture, without the Scripture uh, and the truth that is in it, how do we know anything about righteousness? How do we know anything about peace or the gospel of peace or every other piece of armor? So truth is, is sort of the, the, the girdle, the supporting piece for everything else that we do in our lives. So we begin with truth, the belt of truth. The breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness is right living. It is uprightness. In the Bible, when you see righteousness, oftentimes you can think in your head justice or just living. A way of just, upright living. And this hardly, I think, needs any explanation. It should not come to, to, uh, to surprise you that the choices that we make day in and day, day out, for good or for ill, have spiritual impact. That as we make good, right choices, that that fights back against evil in our world. And that when we make wrong or evil choices, that that perpetrates evil in our world. We should not be surprised that when we make poor choices, wrong choices, that that allows Satan to get into our lives. He's the accuser. 
Every wrong, poor choice that we make is fodder for the accuser. So Paul calls us to live lives of uprightness, to walk in the way of Jesus Christ, who is the one who lived righteously. Breastplate of righteousness. The shoes of the gospel of peace. In the ancient times, uh, when the Roman soldiers made these shoes, they would take a sandal and they would actually nail uh, nails into the sole of the shoes and they would cut off the tips of those nails. And it was actually kind of like an ancient pair of cleats. And these cleats, so to speak, would give them, would give them grip. And um, for one thing, you know, if they're standing, as Paul calls, calls these Christians to do, to stand, uh, it gave them a secure foothold. So that they could hold their place against whatever was pushing against them. Uh, for another thing, when they needed to advance, it allowed them to be ready at a moment's notice so that they didn't slip when their feet needed to move. Now think about this in terms of the gospel of peace. When I hear gospel, I think good news. I always replace in my head gospel with good news because it helps to make sense of the vitality of the gospel. Gospel can become a churchy word. But good news, we need good news, don't we? And so we talk about the gospel of peace. Good news about peace. Paul is saying we need to both be secured by that good news in our footing to stand in that good news, but we also need to be ready with that good news. We need to be ready at a moment's notice when we are called to carry it forward, to carry that good news to people in our speech and in our deeds. You know, for for so many of us, I wonder... If we don't ask enough, what is the purpose of my faith? Why am I a Christian? Am I saved simply for my own edification? Or is there more to my faith? Is there more meaning to why I am a Christian, a follower of Jesus? And I say, yes, there is. There is. Our world is hurting. If we are only to edify ourselves, then we are to allow the forces of darkness to win. And that's what Paul means when we, when we put on our shoes of the gospel of peace. We are ready to carry the good news of the gospel of peace and to carry forth our motivation, what moves our feet forward into this world. Shoes of the gospel of peace. The shield of faith. The shield of, of the Roman soldier was, was about the, the size of the body. You could hunker behind it and it would cover most of the body. And this shield, uh, they would often soak it in water so that if it was hit by flaming arrows, that it would uh, be quenched by the water that was already in the shield. Flaming arrows um, in ancient warfare were a means to scatter uh, an army. And you can imagine if you were holding a shield and a flaming arrow went into it and, and the shield um, burst into flame, you wouldn't want to hold onto that shield anymore, would you? And so you would cast down the shield and be vulnerable. So the flaming arrows would scatter and would cause you to be vulnerable. The metaphor that Paul uses for the shield is the shield of faith. And so you can imagine that perhaps these flaming arrows were arrows of doubt. That Satan is out for you to cast down your faith. But faith is, is an important word. If you were to only understand faith as meaning belief in God, that would be too narrow of an understanding. When we talk about faith, I believe that what faith means more specifically is what we understand about who God is. Who God is. Because that's what Satan's really after. 
He's really after twisting our understanding of who God is. Certainly, it wouldn't hurt if you didn't believe God altogether. But there are plenty of atheists who really do believe in God. They just believe that God is evil, and they reject that God. I had a a student in confirmation class recently. He was asking me questions about um, uh, the age of the patriarchs, Methuselah, 969 years old. And he was kind of wondering how he could defend this to his classmates who were atheists and who would ridicule that particular part of the Bible. And I gave him some answers about how he could go about that. But I said, you know, what I would encourage you to do is, with your classmates is to turn the questions back to who Jesus is. Turn the questions back to who Jesus is. Because um, your faith doesn't stand on how old Methuselah was, really. And I wish I had said more about that to this student. Because our faith, yours and mine, really doesn't stand on how old Methuselah is. Whether that's true or not. Our faith, yours and mine, stands on who God is as revealed through Jesus Christ. That's the pillar upon which our faith stands. Even Paul says that. So when we understand who God is, we understand the central crux of our faith. That God is just, that he is good, that he is loving. And if that is secure in us, then we have our shield of faith. The simple song of faith is, Jesus loves me, this I know. And when we sing that song, we hold aloft our shield of faith. The helmet of salvation. There's a couple things about this particular part of the passage. Um, As you read it, you understand that uh, Paul says, he gives an image in in the grammar of uh, taking the helmet of salvation, but the, the image is a little more Uh, illustrative than that. It's almost as if someone was holding God, were holding the helmet of salvation, holding salvation itself for us to receive. Another thing about this, in Isaiah 59, that passage I read, uh, you'll notice that God himself was wearing the helmet of salvation. Now that's interesting because God doesn't need saving. God saves, right? He is the one who saves So when he is wearing the helmet of salvation, it is an image of victory. He is carrying salvation, his salvation, on his head as an image of his victory. And that can be an image of our victory as well. Early in Ephesians, Paul says to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Have been saved, already done. Salvation has already happened. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. So then that image again of salvation already achieved for us, given to us to wear as a sign of our victory. You know, it is easy to look at the world, to look at our own lives, and to wonder if evil will win. It seems so overwhelming to look at things like poverty, to look at our own life and to see the besetting sins that that we struggle with. And wonder if we'll ever be free of them. But the helmet of salvation comes on us. And we wear it and it assures us that we should not lose hope. That salvation is sure that it has been given to us. And that we have our victory already. Christus Victor. The sword of the spirit. You know there's two things about the armor of God that are really interesting to me. One is that uh, there's no armor for the back. It is always forward facing. 
And the other thing about the armor of God is that the only offensive weapon is the sword of the Spirit. The only offensive weapon is the sword of the Spirit. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, as Paul says, clearly the meaning of this is that the Scripture is our offensive weapon. Um, when we read the, the passage in, in, uh, in the Gospels, when Jesus encounters Satan in the wilderness and in his temptation, in that passage, the only time that Jesus says words that are his own are the words, be gone, Satan. Every other word that he says is from Deuteronomy. He speaks Scripture to fight Satan. And that's why, as we have been going over the series, we have been memorizing Scripture. 1 John 4, 4. How many, how many of you know that? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, right? We memorize these scriptures so that they are close to our hearts and close to our lips so that we can counter the lies of Satan and that we can actually make an offensive attack on his lies. But there's more to it than just that. When we read scripture and we, we understand this, um, in, the, in the original Greek, uh, we would expect the word of God to say, Logon Theos, word of God. But actually what it says is Rema Theos. Rema. Rema is a word that it means word, but it means utterance or spoken word. So what, what Paul is saying here is it's not just the word of God, but the word spoken and proclaimed. That when we speak and proclaim God's word, when we speak words of truth, of life, of peace into our surroundings, that we are offensively fighting back against the work of Satan. And so my encouragement to you is to speak words of truth, to speak the words of utterance of God into our context. Scripture, indeed, so that we can proclaim peace and life and truth into our context. And many of us would end the armor of God there. But what's interesting, at the end of verse 17, there's a comma, not a period, a comma. It says, which is the word of God, comma, praying, praying. Prayer is part of spiritual warfare. Prayer is part of spiritual warfare. And it's what Paul is calling the Ephesians church to do over and over again. And notice the emphasis here. He says, pray all the time, with all prayer, with all perseverance, for all the saints. All. All encompassing prayer. And notice what he asked to be prayed for. He says, pray that I would speak with boldness. That I would have the words to say and that I would speak with boldness. What is the piece of armor that has to do with speaking? The sword. Yes, the sword. Paul is asking the Ephesians church to help him to wield his sword. To pray that he would wield his sword well. And that he would say words of peace and life and victory and truth. So that is the armor of God. It is a way of living. A way of standing firm in a world where evil seems to be victorious, but it is most certainly not. And you and I can make a difference in the way that we embody truth, in the way that we hold aloft our faith, in the way that we walk with the gospel of peace, in the way that we enact all of these pieces of armor. We can make a difference in our world, and especially through prayer. I would encourage you this week, as you go about your devotions is to take some time every day and imaginatively pray through these pieces of armor, understanding what they mean for your own context. Meditate on each one of them as you pray about them. Think about how God would call you 
to live out each of these pieces of armor every day. And to close our sermon today, I'm going to pray for all of us with this in mind. So bow your heads with me. Father, we recognize that we are in a spiritual battle. That there are forces of evil at work in this world that would seek to turn us away and many others away from you. Lord, give us your strength. Give us your power to fight these forces of darkness. And Father, help us to ready ourselves by knowing your truth. Thank you that whatever else is uncertain in this world, we can rely on the truth of Jesus to gird ourselves. And Father, help us to wear your righteousness and to live in it day by day. Help us to live rightly so that Satan may not have a foothold in our lives. Move our feet with the compassion of your good news. Give us opportunities today and every day to share your peace with those we encounter in turmoil through our deeds and through our words. Father, we know that Satan seeks to break our ranks with confusion and doubt, but help us to stand and extinguish every flaming arrow and remind ourselves that you are good, that you are love, that you are just. Thank you that your salvation is ours and that we are victorious in you and we wear your salvation like a helmet. Help us to wield the sword of your word today, speaking in the power of your scripture through your spirit that demolishes evil and darkness in our world through the proclamation of your good news. Help us to be vigilant in our prayers, ever reliant on you, ever watchful for our brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.